Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, an oral history podcast about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. My mission here is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, did during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are, and will be coping with our multiple and expanding crises during their day-to-day working hours. Can we turn things around? We'll find out. To tell this story, I need loiners. Loiners like you, dear listener. I need people in Leeds or people from Leeds to come on this podcast and just tell me what they do all day and let me record how this affects us. Thank you for listening. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, first of all, hi, Simon. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so it's quite a a tricky question. So my, um, both my folks are doctors uh, for the NHS, etc. I'll probably touch on one of them later on. And um, so my mum always told me, she said, don't become a doctor because there's, you know, too much work, not enough pay, etc, etc. So... I kind of went through my education not really knowing what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but just not, and I was a terrible student. I mean, you know, I'm dyslexic, which I didn't find out until 2017, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily my bag, but if I wanted to be anything when I was growing up, I don't know, just to have fun. That's the honest truth. I never really had a, you know, a set goal. Yeah. Never had a set goal. But when I went to, when I, because I always assumed I would go to university because my parents had quite a lot of education. Um, then at that point, I was going to study business because I couldn't think of anything else to do. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, You like geology. Mm-hmm. Why don't you do that? You've got to do it for three years. You've got to be interested in it. You enjoy it. Do that. So I studied geology, and that basically kicked me off in a certain direction, which, um, yeah, you know, led to where I am now. You're listening to Series 5, Episode 3, and to my guest, Farak Masood. This is another in-person interview recorded at Helix in Leeds University on the 10th of January, 2024. Farak Masood is the founder of True Green Energy. Farak's vision is to assess SMEs and corporates, including the oil and gas, mining and renewable sectors, in achieving a socially responsible and environmentally sustainable transition to a circular economy. In today's dynamic business landscape, Frack firmly believes that business objectives are fluid and subject to change. It is imperative that they remain adaptable to our evolving environment, assess available resources, and strategically determine the most suitable courses of action. Frack has a track record of delivering success. He has effectively collaborated with organisations and individuals across all continents, navigating diverse cultural and linguistic contexts. Right, let's do this, episode 113 of Working Hours with Farak Masood. Okay, so we'll jump straight into that. So what is it that you are doing now? Okay, so um, I'm the founding director of a company called True Green Energy Group. Um, Now, 
what we do is we we in essence are furthering a just energy transition agenda mm -hmm. now we do that in several ways um, we do consulting for carbon calculators and potential um, carbon offsetting but ethical carbon offsetting uh, we also help commercialize and internationalize people with novel IP um, be it in wind farm monitoring techniques mm -hmm. or be it new power generation techniques mm -hmm. um, and so help those through that journey through sort of access to investment and also markets and the commercial awareness that goes along with it okay um, so right now it's kind of a group of companies that I'm working directly in um, over several different um, platforms and ideas but everything is to further a just energy transition that's the that's the overarching game plan mm -hmm. in however we can do that yeah so I, I'll touch on this now but we might go back to it later it sounds to me then that's been designed so it's basically a green business from the ground up has been designed correct yeah, yeah. so you yeah. I mean obviously you've your number one priority as a business is to make money, but well, not a charity. Yeah. How, however, having said that, <clears throat> now because of this overarching to further the agenda, mm -hmm. we do do quite a lot of pro bono work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I certainly didn't charge. I've been invited to the House of Lords to speak on um, net zero and digitization and mm -hmm. things like that. So, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of work that I'll do. For free because it benefits the overall agenda yeah. and it benefits the education agenda. So in that way, yes, it's there to make money. Of course, the core business is to make money, always. But more importantly, if where I believe, if the company is sincere about trying to further the agenda mm -hmm. in everything we do, whether it be paid or not, mm -hmm. it all benefits the company anyway. Yeah. You know, so if we help the education of on how one can be, you know, in, on carbon activism training or something along those lines, mm -hmm. do that for free. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, let's say in ten years' time, hopefully those people will become customers. So for me, it is about furthering that agenda and um, trying to educate in a in a manner which is pragmatic. Mm -hmm. um, because my background is also engineering. Uh, with several other sort of touches, but we'll come to that, I guess. Um, it's about trying to fix what works or do things that can make an immediate difference instead of pie in the sky. It's like, okay, how can we fix this problem right now? Mm -hmm. And therefore, if it is through education, I'd rather make sure, I'd try and make people un understand what the basic intrinsic things are that matter mm -hmm. to climate change or to sustainability and with that whether it is an immediate payback doesn't matter mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. personally although obviously I have cost centers where I've got consultants who they work directly for you know an income but for me personally as long as I'm furthering that agenda I'm happy to do the work okay so 
Um, I might come back with some additional questions on that, but we'll go into how you got into it first. Mm. So how, how did it come about? How did you get into this? Right. So uh, I started my career, I did industrial geology, then studied mining engineering. Mm. I've worked for, uh, at the time, a company called BHP, uh, who were, I worked on the second largest my copper producing mine in the world in South America. Yeah. Uh, then did a few more bits of sort of mining, uh, but then went into uh, drilling services in the oil industry. Mm-hmm. Worked for a, uh, one of the largest oil services or drilling services companies um, on, on both with both of those starter companies, if you like, I, I was on a sort of management fast track. Mm-hmm. So covered a lot of bases, um, all the production lines. Um, and, you know, so kind of got a really good understanding of it. Then we had an oil crash, I think. Uh, and I, I kind of decided to do an MBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have done it at work, but it was five years. And I thought, I'll just take a year out. You know, oil prices down. What the hell? Yeah. So I, you know, did an MBA here, actually, at University of Leeds. Um, then realized I probably could never work for anyone again while <laughs> I was doing that. Um, but at the end of my MBA, I was diagnosed with uh, stage four testicular teratoma with lung, liver, and bone involvement. Um, so consequently, I handed in my dissertation one year late to the day, but at least I handed it in, yeah. uh, got my MBA. And that was um, obviously quite a setback. That was when I was 28, uh, 29. And um, so that was a period of, you know, obviously transition and mm-hmm. it was quite quite difficult. But uh, so in the recovery process of that, uh, when I was doing the MBA, my friends and I had set up a little consultancy company um, for, that was at the time of the uh, sort of 99, 2000, so just before the internet bubble burst, mm-hmm. and we would ha- we were working with an incubator to assess new businesses that wanted to get into the digital market space, etc., etc. Right. Um, so we kind of uh, at the end at the end of that, obviously, I had to stop working because I was ill. Um, but uh, you know, after my sort of a couple of years of recovery, then I. Uh, Turned the consultancy, got my friends to consult me and say, what do you want to do? As in, because I really didn't know I'd completely open space. So I, because I liked aesthetic and design and things, um, I ended up starting a company which was um, for UK designers. Uh, so young UK designers, furniture and homeware. Right. Uh, they would design the products. We would take them under contract. I would have them manufactured over the seas. Mm. Um, and then export it internationally. Uh, so, for example, like places like Bergdorf Goodman in London, and I'm uh, sorry, New York, Selfridges in London, uh, Lane Crawford in Hong Kong, uh, and untold amount of boutiques. I think we used to export to around about 30-odd countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for around about 13 years, or maybe 15 years. Um, then moved into a sort of more of a kind of went back to my roots a little bit after having done that for quite some time, got married uh, and started working in sort of raw material export. Uh, (laughs) I know that's a complete change in pace, but... I mean, you you were shipping internationally anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you were moving stuff around the world. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So it was kind of fit. Um, 
by uh, yeah, so then did that for a little while. Uh, got divorced and then so stopped doing that. Uh, but it was it was still quite interesting. So after the divorce, um, after having spent a lot of time and with business with lawyers, etc., um, I uh, I kind of decided to study law because it was mm-hmm. something I always found interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that working because I find something interesting. It's pretty much been a continuous path throughout my career because if I find it interesting, I usually like to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a graduate diploma in law at MMU um, and was on the way to becoming a criminal barrister, mm-hmm. but we had COVID, yeah. so I put a bit of a break on things. Uh, but that was something that I really, I mean, it was such an eye-opener. I managed to work on... Uh, work with some amazing people on, you know, national cases, and it, it was a real, real eye opener. Mm-hmm. Now we had COVID, and towards the end of COVID, a friend of mine was interviewing for a job, or was thinking about working for a company, and he asked me to just do a bit of due diligence and have a chat with him. So I chatted to the chap who who owned this company, um, and this leads into your Brexit question in a way. So. Uh, he had a SaaS system um, that I thought would be perfect for the mining industry. Now, because I went to Campbell School of Mines yeah. uh, in Exeter University, um, my network of mining bots, and because I worked in the industry a little bit, mm-hmm. was is, is really quite good. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, you know, we could launch this in, we could launch this into the Australian market. It would be perfect. So during the end of COVID, we did that. Mm. And in order to do that, I had to set up a company, mm-hmm. uh, which, but that was just so I could do that consultancy. Yeah. But then that led to me setting up a company which was based here at Nexus um, on the university campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started by doing ESG reporting and uh, metrics, etc. But then by the end of that, or before I exited, which was just um, last February, um, we we were giving road mapping to governments in Central Asia mm-hmm. uh, and the Middle East. So that that company changed quite markedly from when I started just helping a mate out to what it ended up being. Mm. Um, I left that company so last year Feb uh, and set up Tribune Energy Group um, with more of an onus, not so much working in the oil and mining sector as mm-hmm. I was doing previously yeah um, but more as some way of as, as I said previously just furthering that energy just energy transition agenda mm-hmm. and I use the the Greenpeace definition of a just energy transition agenda in that in that um, in that wording which is well okay it's a, it's it's so that yes we need to transition into a, a, a reduction of carbon across the globe, of course, but we cannot allow that to. We need to take into consideration, which is part of the just element, mm-hmm. the societal effects of that mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. So it's no good putting a whole bunch of people out of work, but still getting to net zero. Yeah. Okay. So it's about retraining. It's about education. That just element, those societal aspects, are just as important. Mm-hmm. As the 
let's say, engineering solutions mm-hmm. aspect of that, the transition. Mm-hmm. So we can give, you know, what, where, where do we get, where do we get the engineers from who, to drill geothermal wells? Mm-hmm. We get them from the oil industry. Mm-hmm. So we retrain so that people continue having their jobs because that's just as important because suddenly, I mean, even with the advent of AI, with the advent of so many new technologies, if we don't consider the societal aspect of what we're doing mm-hmm. as a whole, mm-hmm. then we're, we're letting down society as a whole as well, mm. I believe, personally. Yeah. Well, you can't just put loads and loads of people out of work at once without there being some kind of social upheaval. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you've got you at least consider what you're doing and how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and on the societal effects, for example, you look at things like um, Mauritius, uh, who where you know because sea level increased, that they've basically been wiped out. Mm. Uh, but then, not just that, you have to think about how can we get, how can we, because they're mainly based on tourism, their income, how do we, how do we do that, but in a sustainable manner? Mm. How do we still get people? Yeah. There's a, there's there's such a, and it's such a nebulous subject mm. of so many different parts that impact the idea of net zero or the idea of transitioning mm-hmm. to um, to in order to reduce carbon and try and sequester it maybe but at least reduce the production of carbon mm. um, that if you don't take it into account you are missing I feel a major aspect of what would be a trans an energy transition mm-hmm. and it is something that we're going to have to do mm. uh, unfortunately in the UK we are I believe very behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, as I as mentioned earlier, I was at the House of Lords on this. Um, this was about ten, maybe ten, twelve months ago. I was at the House of Lords for this uh, net zero and digitization uh, think tank, mm-hmm. and uh, at that time, having we spoke to some. MPs, in fact, they gave a speech. I can't remember who the current Secretary of State was at the time. To be honest with you, I don't remember. Change every five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they gave a speech, and I remember seeing there in this room, and it was from it was from an SME standpoint. And uh, I just turned to the person next to me, and I went, "They're going to drop net zero. That's what they're fishing for. They're looking for us to justify the rationale for them mm. to drop a net zero agenda." Mm. Uh, and they didn't get that response from the group of people that were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I unfortunately said to the MP at the time, I said, you know, unfortunately for you, I have worked in the oil and mining industry. If you drop this agenda, it's going to cause trouble down the road. Mm-hmm. And you're putting us even further back behind the curve that we're already way behind the curve on anyway for sustainability and, you know, energy transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, no one listened to me. It's fine. Doesn't matter, but you know it's just you can see when the writing's on the wall, and but I'm getting political now, so I'll, I'll move on. No, that's uh, that that's fine. I mean, it's within the realms of your work, so yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, it matters, you know, because because I've worked with Central Asian countries, for example, um, let's say Uzbekistan, mm. Kazakhstan, um, they have a goal, mm. and they know how they want to get there. Mm. And they're doing what they have to do to get there. Mm. And they're doing it, they're reverse engineering it. They know where they want to be. And they're working out now how to 
to trans- transition to be that ultimate goal. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, we don't necessarily do that. We we don't like to plan. linearly move forward, yeah. trying to flip up and figure out whatever's you know uh, uh, flavor of the month, yeah. or flavor of the week, yeah. flavor of the day, mm. and it that's without that vision, you, you can't succeed. Mm. You, you uh, I believe you won't succeed. I'm happy to be proved wrong. Yeah, but I believe. Without that vision, without that goal, without that driver yeah. of an individual, be it president, be it whatever, mm. you, it's going to be very difficult to actually have an impact and make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. On the environment, I should say. Yeah. But, well, collectively as well, like for the whole thing, it's, it's sort of like you said, there is, there's no destination, there's no goal, there's no yeah. given purpose. Um, so, We'll we'll jump into questions and then um, I might delve back into things a bit more. Of course, yeah. As we go through or towards the end, so I'll jump straight into COVID. You mentioned COVID briefly. What I want to look at here is as we went into lockdown, what was your experience of that? Was it so? It seems to be either a huge increase in work because you're ringing around all your customers, or they're ringing you and like, what's happening? What's mm. going on? Mm. So you're working all the time, or it fell off a cliff and you weren't oh, yeah. doing anything. No, it totally <laughs> fell off a cliff. I was basically unemployed. Yeah. Uh, and then when my, my friend at the end of COVID asked me to do that thing for him, I was like, yeah, fine, do it. And, and that actually turned into an opportunity. Mm. Um, but then this also mixes into your Brexit question, interestingly enough. So the company I was working for at the time, I'm not going to mention who they were, but when Brexit happened, mm-hmm. it wiped off they they turned over two hundred million pounds a year, mm-hmm. and then after Brexit, their expected turnover was fifteen million, wow. or thirty five million, I think, something along those lines. I can't remember the exact it's numbers. More than three quarters. I, I, mean, they, they, I mean, overnight. <laughs> yeah, overnight that happened. Yeah. Um, so Which again, that means it's not like they. If you've lost that much of your revenue, your your turnover. You can't afford to keep your staff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know. We, so that's people out of work immediately. We no, no retraining plan. Exactly. No support plan. Exactly. Straight onto universal credit or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Exactly. And you know that was a. I mean that was a. That was sort of an outsourcing business, but it was. It, yeah. It was. It was quite an eye opener that. Um, you know. I, I recall in I think it was two thousand and eight when. Um, we had a financial crash, you recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember overnight, my production costs went up by 25% mm-hmm. overnight. And I was just like, oh, nightmare. But relatively small, agile company, able to work it out. I yeah. mean, kind of hit us two years afterwards in turnover. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't, wasn't a killer. It was something it, you yeah, could adapt to. But, but Brexit was a, this is a paradigm shift, almost like the paradigm shift of COVID, mm. where, as, as we were saying earlier, people are used to doing uh, Zoom calling now, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, it, it is it, there's a Kumian paradigm shift between what happened before and what happened after. Mm. And to pretend Brexit wasn't that mm. is 
I think, a fallacy. It kind of got hidden in the mix, though. So Brexit is so... I, I mean, we'll go probably straight into that next, but it was a weird one because you had... You had the vote in 2016, and then you just had noise. Like, there was the initial sort of, oh, everyone shut up about Brexit for a bit because they've mm, had the vote. Mm, so mm. it was that quiet period for mm. a bit, and then it was just Brexit, Brexit, Brexit for years. And then COVID hit, and then it was all COVID, and then Brexit kind of happened in the background of yeah, that, and then yeah. it was kind of like yeah. a non-thing, yeah. and nobody talks about it now, but it's like... No, it's here now, and it's yeah having I mean, effect. I remember it, the effect that happened. It was literally the day after. Yeah, and the chap I was working with said, "Guess what the fuck's happened?" Yeah, and that that was the answer. You know, that was that was what happened. That was the direct effect that affected businesses. Mm. Maybe his was more exposed than yeah. others because he was like a, a fintechy type company, but. It, that that was a real effect that happened. Mm. You know, the, suddenly they were finding, trying to find you know, offices in Ireland so that they could set up a business. Mm. I mean, it was just. A, I want to use the word shit show, but I don't want to shit. I don't want to swear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, you know, you're not wrong on it. Um, but can I, can I say? I mean, during that period, I, my partner at the time, not now, but. Part of the time was uh, PPC um, for Labour, mm. and so I helped write a few speeches. And uh, the message from the central, well, certainly that that element of Labour at the time was, you know, don't talk about Brexit mm. on the doorstep. Don't talk. It's like, don't. But don't talk about one of the most significant things, things that's happening. Well, I, I mean, it's the same with climate change, though. And, yes. and, and COVID's reached that as well. Of like, you know, I, I don't know where you are on it, but the fact that the conversation about long COVID is very much pushed to the edge and sort of thing. It's like, we've not, this is a new disease. We have not finished mm. evaluating this yeah. and knowing about it. It's still a risk. And just because you've got vaccines, like, Vaccines don't prevent the infections, and they don't prevent reinfections. Yeah, and yeah, it's just like no, we don't talk about well, it. Just look at the shiny, look happened. at the shiny thing. Yeah. Now look at the post office, shiny, shiny. <laughs> we're doing something about that. Yeah, shiny. And, and I, you know, I, I think it comes. Okay, so maybe I'm fortunate because the majority of my career has been based internationally. Mm. So I kind of look at our media in uh, a bit I mean for example when I used to work overseas a lot I'd come home and the first thing I would do is watch BBC News and be oh oh god it's not propaganda it's not you know mm. but this is and then suddenly there was this and it happened when I was doing that work um, for my, my partner's uh, BBC application and uh, I was just like oh my god hold on I know I witnessed someone saying I know I witnessed him apologising for something mm. And I know that it was reported that he didn't, mm. but I was in the room when he actually made that apology. Mm. So, the and that was so shocking and stark that I just, you know, it was, it was good. I was saddened by it. I'll mm. be, I would be honest that, you know, something I believe is a national treasure mm. uh, wasn't what I thought it was, mm. and what I. But then now I kind of I'm more I'm based more in the UK, so. Uh, I travel less and I see yeah I, I think I just got a bit, a bit of a different opinion from having that progressive change Yeah, maybe you didn't notice 
but because it was such a stark reality for me that I suddenly went, hold on. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a completely different view of something I thought was absolutely solid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like turning the heat up on the frog. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, don't get me started on BBC News. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, we mentioned sort of, obviously you started a company through COVID and the lockdown. Uh, the other part of the question, I like to look at sort of the changes that have happened or whether there's been any permanent changes in the way that you work coming out of it. Obviously, we mentioned like video calling and conferencing and so on. Has anything else changed for you work-wise? Do you, like, because one of the big of, things... Because of what? Because, because of, of COVID. Oh, because of COVID. Uh, one of the big things that people were talking about a lot, there was all of that discussion of, like, inclusivity. Mm. Inclusive, inclusive, inclusivity, maybe? Yes. Oh, that one. I'll put my teeth. Yeah, and well-being and sort of people being isolated, all that kind mm. of conversation. Um, I mean, obviously, you've worked kind of finished for a bit but then you started going again were you quite good I mean you've been through a few jobs at that point you've got quite a lot of career experience I mean how was the adjustment to working from home and like were you good at doing the segment I'll tell you what um, I think it's it's kind of interesting it's great to have that reach with video chat and be able to yeah I mean you know I was doing I was launching a product in Australia we'd sponsored an event in Australia, mm-hmm. I was doing video chats at two thirty in the morning with mm-hmm. Australia, mm-hmm. Uh, and that was brilliant. Yeah, you know that available to be able to do that without actually being able to go there mm-hmm. was phenomenal, mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal. However, mm-hmm. I'm a great believer in sitting with. This is why I prefer to do this podcast in person. Mm-hmm. Sitting with someone talking i believe that fosters creativity mm-hmm. i believe that you you come up with creative ideas in a in that environment better than one would do mm-hmm. on on a video call yeah you know because you enter you kind of uh, you know i always write down in my book on a video call what do i want out of this call oh is it i want an mou is it that i want them to sign an nda or something like that i have something in my mind that i want to achieve and then i achieve it or don't achieve it yeah whereas if you're in a room with someone that kind of goes out the window you know what you want yeah I, i'm sitting with a room and yeah i'd like to i like us to sign an nda you and i sign mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. but hold on we're, we're talking we're chatting about the, how bad the coffee is here or something or how mm-hmm. great the coffee is here and we come up with a new business idea. Mm. So suddenly, that NDA is on the back burner. We'll get to it. But let's talk about this other thing which we've developed and created because we're in person. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm an absolute believer that, that that creativity only really happens when people are in the same room together. Mm. I, it just, it's just my experience. I could, you know, I could be wrong, but I just feel that... I mean, I, that, like, I largely agree. I think, you know, like you say, obviously you were able to launch a product on the other side of the world. So you, you can do it. You have that space to use that tool in that, that way. But yeah, being in a room with someone is always a different experience. Like I've done a whole bunch of these recorded sure. and it's great to do it. It's really nice because you switch it on, switch it off. I don't have to go home. I don't have to get to a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I know both of those. Are safe we don't have to worry about any safeguarding or anything like that and um yeah but 
it's really nice to meet people in person and speak to them and you know get the energy and the conversation like you say it does go differently when yeah. you meet someone in person um i think you lose spontaneity and it's a bit harder it's a bit more of a work experience when you're sort of conferencing online mm. because you're losing that you know you your mind and your eye has to fill in more information because the, the quality is not amazing. You, and you haven't got those micro, you know, because that, those, um, what do they call it? Micro indications, body language things. Yeah, I'm going straight to microaggressions, but they mean like the but micro gestures. Micro and, gestures, yeah. the things, the small things, some of the way someone's eyes move, the way, all that stuff. Yeah. I think you lose if you're not in person. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I you know, I, we've run we've run uh, sort of discovery sessions for companies. Uh, I also do a Ned role with a digital marketing agency, I should say. Um, and so we, I've done discoveries, discovery sessions with their companies, um, people who want to sell new businesses, totally outside my remit. And um, online versus um, in person. It's it's just for me a much more engaging environment, mm. and I you know it's that that physical separation. I think we I don't know. I mean I'm not I'm not someone who's work working for a corporate, and I'm not an accountant who's been on online calls every day yeah. for the last however long. I'm not that guy. For yeah. me, it's it's a tool I use, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Mm. Uh, and most of my things are done because of personal relationships and individual interaction. But I just, I don't... It's great, it's a tool, but it's not my back. Mm. I'd always rather meet someone in person. Mm. You know? Uh, especially if they're pitching to me, or they're trying to get some investment, trying to do something. I'd always rather just meet, I'd rather see, look in someone's eye. I know that sounds terrible, but... No, but especially from an investment perspective or whatever, you know, it's the, it's the getting a measure, getting the measure of someone Mm. um, and, you know, like feeling their presence if you want to go to auras or whatever. Yeah. yeah, Just to feel the energy of a person in the room and what they're like because it's very easy on a phone it's very easy to hide a lot of stuff yeah and a video call is a bit harder but you can still do it easy enough and you can hide stuff in person but generally we make our judgments about people from meeting them being present with them well the thing is you know I, I, um, I'm a university uh, well I'm a leader in residence here at the university and uh, so we do work with groups of students and things like that uh, and so let's say I'm at a table with a group of students and one of them has been particularly quiet. I will stop everything. I'll say, right, what do you think? Mm. Because I want to bring that out of, you know, get the, get as much out of people as I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in person, you know, if, if someone's more relaxed with you, mm. instead of feeling that instant formal setting where you're on a computer screen, mm-hmm. you're able to draw the best out of other people as well mm. that you may not necessarily have got from just a 45 minute one hour zoom call mm. or teams chat whatever mm. you know I, I i just i just think there's we can't move totally to that mm. line of working and i don't think anyone will want to i don't either. think they do either i mean like a lot of the 
a lot of the journalism, I use that term broadly. Um, well, I was going to say loosely. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is written about, you know, sort of office work and stuff. You see a lot of stuff about return to the office and get people back in and everyone just wants to work from home. There's plenty of people that do want to work from home, but my, in my experience, I've met a number of people post-pandemic who are like, I hate working at home because it's like, it's my home. Yeah. I don't want my work in there. You need to work. I'm on my own. You need a separation. Yeah. And and for a lot of people, you know, people did the thing of like putting the suit on to go and log in because they need to get into that mental headspace. And for a lot of people, it's that getting up, going into a mm, place mm. that puts... You know, the transition happens there. Oh, yeah. Into that I, mean, I, I, I very rarely work from home. Mm. Very rarely. Because I just, unless I've got some overflow, I need to do something last minute. Because, you know, when I'm at work, I'm at work, 100%. But when I'm not, yeah. I am not working when mm. I'm not working, you know, and I don't, uh, I prefer not to have that barrier displaced. Um, although having said that, when you say about there's a lot of go back to work, okay, am I going to come across as a bit of a loon now? I don't know. I'm going to try. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, I'll, I'll throw this out there and I'll see what you think. Let's face it. A lot of the fire behind go back to work was done because of commercial property. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Please come and use our offices. We don't want yeah. to go bust. And Exactly. And then that pressure was put on government, and that's why they pushed back. I've, I've got to be honest; that's what I believe yeah. it was. Yeah. And I don't think that's right. Well, I was—I remember after the crash in two thousand and eight. I'd be interesting to see if you remember. Like, so do you remember after the crash? There was a period of time where, like, the FT were talking about things like "Is Marx right?" Like everything went yes. out of the window for yeah. a few months. Like all sorts of discussions of well, like that. Well, hold on. Just, just to clarify, wasn't Marx's interpretation of uh, a utopia, okay, of the, of the um, not of communism but of socialism? Mm-hmm. It was meant to be implemented once capitalism had gone over the hill, mm-hmm. if I'm correct, mm-hmm. okay, not necessarily before capital- capitalism had gone over the hill. Capitalism has to get to that point where everyone's just after self-actualization. Then socialism works, mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big believer in socialist ideas, and I think social. I don't care. I think everyone has social responsibility, mm. but um, th- th- that's always a misinterpretation, I believe, where they want to implement socialism now, but no, we're not all reaching for self-actualization. We're not all at the point where money doesn't matter. Mm. Hence, you can't implement socialism, mm. but you can be socially, you know, aware and have you know um, regard for one one's fellow man and and you can admit that the economy to a large degree is planned oh yeah you know and it's it you know i think i am going to be coming across as a complete loon aren't i (laughs) oh god oh well there we go fine i want to get into some of the the energy so i i forgot why i brought up the 2008 thing but i was going to speak about something i think it was that it was that whole thing of that, like, they, they tell you various different stories at, at different times, but they're not always, you know, a, again, it's that very easy forgetting of stuff. Mm. Of like, oh, we only remember what I need to remember. Um, but we'll do, we'll do Brexit. I, I know we've touched on it already. Um, for you, for your work, was there a significant change when Brexit occurred? Okay. 
directly? Luckily, no. Right. Now, in the sort of oil mining uh, industry, mm-hmm. at that time, because obviously I was dealing with Australia, and then after that it was Central Asia, mm-hmm. so Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, these countries, uh, Kyrgyzstan, or Creek Republic, sorry. Um, it didn't affect as a however as an idea of not being European anymore kind of did mm-hmm. and I you know it's I, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I you know I'm if we'd have done it properly I think in 20 years time we would see the benefit mm. Right, and so in that way, I don't think it would have been a bad thing. Mm-hmm. However, the way it was done, I think it was terrible. The, the, you know, the the BS that was spread it just yeah. I, as an idea, I could see with a twenty year game plan, mind you, on a purely economic front. Mm-hmm. If I'd have had kids, then I would have thought, okay, twenty years time. They're leaving university. Will the UK be in a better position than it was previously? Mm-hmm. Potentially, yes, mm-hmm. if handled correctly. Mm-hmm. However, none of that happened, mm-hmm. and so therefore, I don't believe that you know that that proposition is correct. And I think we should have the status quo would have been much better, especially just because of the you know um, human rights and. Um, having a you know proper court, European court of appeal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think from that standpoint, and we, we put ourselves in a, a really bad position. And healing the divisions, um, you know, like people that were remain. If there was more, if there was more happening, they could see stuff happening. They could see like gains or green green shit. They could see something substantial. Hmm. Hmm. Then you would get more buy-in. People would be buying in more than they are just, you know, digging their heels of in. Of course. Or... I mean, you know, I, I, I remember because I was because stu- at that time I was, I was studying law, mm. and I was at the University of MMU, and we'd just come out, and um, I, I there was a there was a, mar- um, a European Union march happening so you know they're all flying the flag and etc mm-hmm. and I was I was having a fag outside the library in between study sessions and uh, I remember talking to some of the some of the people there and I was like okay yeah we've left could you could you just tell me what what's your vehicle for rejoining mm-hmm. and they instantly thought that I was actually attacking their point of view mm-hmm. I wasn't I was actually asking What's the legal? Yeah. Vehicle? What's your plan? What's the legal vehicle yeah. to get us back into the EU? Because if you've got one, I'm on it. Yeah. But I need to understand how you're going to do it. Yeah. And it's it comes back to that pragmatic approach. So how can you fix things? How can you actually make a difference to the immediate situation? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a plan, or if you don't have a vision, I don't think you can achieve those things. It's it's about substance, isn't it? Because everything that like, and we've mentioned this within the conversation, but it's like so much is like Brexit itself. It's like you're buying a brand. Like, what is it? What are you voting for? Mm. L- leave the EU. Well, what does that mean? Don't know. Nobody does. 
Like, that's why we spent four years having, like, all these ridiculous arguments that basically got us nowhere. Yes. Um, and it's the same with them. Or rejoin. All right, what's the substance of yes. that? Oh, you're attacking me. No, I'm asking what the substance is. I don't want to just buy a brand with nothing that comes with it. Agreed. Like, no product, nothing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just that those... Those, so to bring it back to sort of the environmental thing mm. and to sustainability in the, the field that I work in, um, you know, that there's a lot of hyperbole. Um, I come across people who call themselves ESG consultants and sustainability consultants a lot. Mm -hmm. And actually, if I meet a company and we go in with a sustainability pitch or we go in with a carbon calculator pitch or something like that they will compare us to other companies they've met mm -hmm. and they and we are almost having to fight an uphill battle because they think oh sustainability and ESG it's current zeitgeist it's bollocks they're just it's just money for older yeah because the people that have been and met them before actually don't have substance to what they're talking about yeah and don't understand you know I I worked on and put in place huge solar projects. I know about actually building the thing, about where you need transformers. Wait, I get it. I understand all that. Mm -hmm. And then you get, I don't know, uh, and even larger, quite large companies in the sustainability field mm -hmm. turn up and they actually don't know what they're talking about. I've, I've talked to these consultants and I've, I've said to them, oh, what's your reporting structure? Is it GIR? Is it blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, mm -hmm. and because there's no substance to it. And I think that comes across a great deal, especially in this field. Mm. Um, as, we, as we were talking about, sometimes it's all smoke, smoke and mirrors. Mm. There's no actual nugget in there, mm. and it's kind of up to us to see through the see through the BS and figure out what is what is the valid um, proposition within whatever whatever the idea is or the ideology is that we're looking at. Mm. You know, be it. Be in sustainability, be in the environment, be in Brexit, be in, you know, whatever it is, what's the nugget? And I, I just feel that a lot of time there isn't one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it, it's the whole greenwash thing. Like I'm thinking there, as you're saying that, it's because in, in the marketplace, as any company, if you want a green credential, you, you literally can, you can just buy, buy one. one. Yeah. yeah. You can make one up. Yeah, stick it on yourself. <laughs> yeah, agree. No, you can. You can. You know, I've worked with people who are B Corp registered, but I know through personal experience of working with them mm. that they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Yeah. So it's just a badge. Mm. You know, you want B Corp registration? No. And I, okay, I'm not having to go B Corp itself here. Yes. But if you want that registration or you want ISO registration, I'm sure there's a company in Cyprus that if I give them a 10 grand, they'll get it. Yeah. That's it, mm. you know, and that—that's a fact about those badges. So I don't necessarily agree with the badges. I think, as a company, you're judged on how you behave and how you interact with people, and your sincerity. And that's something that I'm quite—I try to be as honest and open about as possible, mm. and have that sort of. I mean, obviously, we all have working confidential stuff and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, being as open and as transparent as possible mm -hmm. when talking to people, with working with anyone. 
I think is the is the key because then they can see where your value is, mm-hmm. you know, and what you bring to the table. Be it creative ideas, be it a solution, be it you know a new way of doing something that no one else had thought about. Whatever it is, it's it's trying to navigate those waters, mm. and especially in my field, it's it's it can be quite onerous, but it's so imperative that we do do it ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and for you know companies that wish to go down that route, um, you know, I, with friends' companies, and you know. Well, just for free, they'll ask me like, "Frack, I've been asked to do the, you know, work out carbon calculator and do some sort of CBAM accreditation. What do I do? Mm-hmm. How the f do I start this? I haven't got a clue." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Right, okay. How serious are they about doing it? For example, you know, is the board aligned? Do they want to do it actually? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's so many questions and so much nitty gritty, but it's 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 quite difficult." For if a company just comes to it from zero, mm-hmm. but with good intent, mm-hmm. they can make it happen. But sometimes it's just done as a sticker, as you say, mm. and it's not necessarily the way forward. And also, then the public loses faith in what we do mm-hmm. because you know, let's say the way I present a lot of my time, I have to convince people that I'm not the devil. Mm-hmm. But you can only do that by talking to them or being involved with them. Yeah. And you need, you need the time. This is the thing because it's a, it's a real problem and a real world problem and a global problem, like a world problem. So the complexity, the variables, the amount of information, the, the concepts that you need to understand just as a foundation before you then start building on like, okay, this is the situation. This is the kind of thing that we need to do. How do we start swapping things around? Exactly. There's so much that you can't do that in a well, soundbite or Honestly, a I'm constantly, I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly having to read papers. I'm constantly mm. having to educate myself on, on new ideas. And, you know, I'm like, okay, so I was asked by the prime minister and president of Kazakhstan. They are using the, He's running a referendum to uh, to ask the country whether they should invest in nuclear power. Mm-hmm. The reason he's asking that referendum, and I didn't know this, but he they asked my opinion mm-hmm. and I gave it to them. But um, the reason he's asking this, and I didn't know until I looked into it, that north of um, Kazakhstan was basically used as a test site by the by the communists, yeah, um, Soviets. By, by the Soviets, for you know. X amount of years, mm-hmm. however, close to a population center, mm-hmm. all the problems with that. Mm-hmm. And now, I may not necessarily 100% agree with nuclear energy, but I do agree with um, zero emissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the way he's doing it was sympathetic and it was, it was, it, it really showed that he was thinking about where they wanted their country to go mm-hmm. and that he was. And that's a substantive question. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's got something to it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, imagine us being asked that. Yeah, it'd be a nightmare. It just, the papers would just be filled with frivolity. Nobody actually giving you any information. Exactly. Loads of people just go, no, my flag. No, my flag. This color. Wear this color. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, you know, that, so, I mean, I, you know, 
complimented him on that choice. But I am constantly learning about new things. And through that, I ended up then having to look in, can we make hydrogen from heavy water, mm. uh, blah, blah, blah. Heavy water is like a hydrogen extra mm. molecule. Um, but, you know, it's part of nuclear um, production. Sorry, segment, tangent. But, um, yeah, so I was looking into that. So that's a completely new aspect. I hadn't even thought about it before yeah. until this came up. So I'm constantly having to try and keep up to date. And I, and I, and I always tell you, if I don't know something, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know. No, not my bag. Don't know it, or I will find out. But yeah. there's this. You know, I think finding finding people in business who are willing to say they don't know something is very, very difficult. Yeah, I think you've always got to be learning in in a, in a work environment. Put your hand up when you don't know something, mm. and just be straight. Mm. You know, it's fine, or don't say anything at all. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like the kind of just stop oil thing of like you know, end fossil fuels now, which is right. It's what we have to do. And it's a great demand to make. Mm. But the nuance within that is, well, well, certain stuff will have to run because we have to get the energy to make the energy. Well, look, okay. I mean, with the Just Stop Oil, okay? So I'm not using, burning legacy hydrocarbons. Mm. Okay, I agree we shouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. However... When those protesters stuck themselves to roads, they were using chemicals that are derived from hydrocarbons. Mm -hmm. We'll always need hydrocarbons, but for the chemical element. We don't necessarily need to burn them to release a legacy carbon, mm -hmm. but we will need them for chemicals. Mm -hmm. It's a fact. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I thought it was ironic that they're sticking themselves to the road using something which is from the oil industry. And I don't even know if they were aware of that or not. Yeah. At the time. I mean, I would imagine some of them will be. I'm sure they. Will. Of course, of course, some of them are. But the. But at the same time, they're also wearing clothes. Yeah, exactly. Nylon synthetic. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. They're all wearing sports clothes, which are made of nylon. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's. It, I'm, not, I'm not belittling their their protest, and I, I think you yeah, know yeah. What, what they've done is, you know, they've raised awareness for something, no matter how whether they've done it correctly or. Incorrectly is not my point. Is not my, um, not my. Well, I'm not. I'm not educated enough to be able to say what how they've done it. It's mm -hmm. not my bag. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't pretend to be. But you know, it. It's a thing. Understand it. But do you understand the nuances of it? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, because we will always need hydrocarbons. We're always going to need mining. These. We're always going to need farming. These are facts. Mm. Everything we touch, interact with, where only comes from two sources. Only mm. comes from either mining or farming. And in mining, I include hydrocarbons. Mm. That's it. Mm. That that is it. Mm. So my principle is that we just do those things better because mm. we are going to always have to do them mm. in some form, uh, and we can't get away from it. And it, you know that pragmatism is sometimes lost. I think. When you try to make a a blanket statement or argument to people about why they should or shouldn't do something, mm. you know there are nuances. There has to be. Mm. But, you know, it's not just a do this and move on. Mm. You know, yeah. Uh, which again, I mean, I mean, it's a very popular neoliberal idea, but personal responsibility, like. 
it's not our job. It's our job to to educate if we're being educators, but it's not our job to educate everyone. Mm. Like we can't, like yeah. you can't physically do that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> right? sure, sure. So the individual has a certain amount of responsibility that they need to look into stuff mm, and not just in like their favorite branded newspaper or whatever, but exactly, like actually yeah. look at stuff, look at things that are written by academics, universities or other people who, if you think that's going to be too complicated, something that's, a trusted explainer. Yes, exactly. And get various different points of view. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, I, I would, I would, I would be the first one to say that I'm not an expert at anything, really. I have a very broad knowledge base, mm -hmm. um, but it's not that deep. Mm. But I can understand how things connect. But yeah, I mean, if I, if I need, if I need information, I go to academic papers, mm. several sources, etc. But it, yeah, you, I mean, you've got to inform yourself, but you've also got to know when you don't know something. You've always got, you've got to be honest with yourself mm. and understand that there's a hole in your understanding mm. or a, a gap in your understanding. Sorry. I think. Yeah, I'd agree. So, Leeds has declared a climate emergency. That's another excuse for me to talk about climate change. Mm. Like the city itself mm. has accepted it and is acting on it. Mm. Um, so as workers within Leeds like within your own work obviously your work is about mitigation, adaptation and awareness raising and that's designed into the business um, so obviously it's a part of how you work and it's a huge like climate change as a subject affects your work massively mm. because it's decided it's, the yeah. type of work that you do exactly and, yeah um, so I think rather than looking at that, maybe sort of discussion within the company, like what are the kind of solutions that you're coming with? Obviously, there are, there are a lot of things that have been tried or been proved successful or whatever. Is it, are you just sorting through all the right, solutions okay, for a particular okay, client and so then putting I'm it on? Gonna, I'm going to really piss some people off now because this is the least thing. Um, right, so I was at a... Climate Summit just up the road, literally, you know, the Great Hall, which is yeah. 100 yards from where we're standing, yeah. sitting, sorry. Um, so I was at a climate summit there, and uh, I asked, they were talking about there not being enough solutions, not being enough money, not being enough this. Uh, you know, uh, the mayor of West Yorkshire was there, several academics, and uh, I had to say to them, I said, I'm sorry, but there, there is... There are answers, this is some time ago, but there, there are answers to everything that you've said. Mm. I'm 500 yards down the road. I've sent you all emails over the last six months and none of you have got back to me. Mm. What's that about? So, the academics actually interact with me, engage with me, and I went on working, you know, not necessarily closely with them, but engage with them mm -hmm. through the Priestley Institute and Bag Bragg Institute here at the university. But, um, West Yorkshire Mayor, now, there have been several occasions when I have, uh, you know, I'm not speaking to a politics or as an individual, but I have offered solutions yeah. uh, that I know work, mm -hmm. proven, uh, and because they're not necessarily in the zeitgeist of what they want to publicize, mm -hmm. they haven't taken them up. And these are environmental solutions that make a difference. Mm -hmm. 
there's a product I... Um, is I, there an initial capital spend for these that they need to make, or is that, it just that, like no, that, that cost is. savings? No, yeah. that is. Yeah. However, the, the, the savings are there quite are obvious. efficiencies. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to give you one example, one product that we use or work with that we're launching into the mining and agri sector is um, incre- increases efficiency by 18%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within 24 hours or 48 hours, reduces carbon emissions by 30% of any diesel engine. Mm. Any diesel engine across the board. Yeah. Works with marine, works with terrestrial, works with aviation. Yeah. Although aviation's uh, uh, still in testing. But those those two uh, uh, diesel engines, which are used in marine or terrestrially. It's a no-brainer, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's there. And that, no, but that, that's a proven... That, yeah, that's something that's been there for ten years. Yeah, and it's not adopted. Why? Because it's probably not sexy for them. It's not. It's not. Oh, we've got all electric buses. Mm-hmm. That, they'd rather go down that route mm-hmm. than fix the immediate problem of being able to change what they're using now. Mm-hmm. Because that's not as a sec. That's you know that's not going to get the column inches. Mm-hmm. It's I, kind I, of. A, I believe it. Well, if we want to be not cynical and we want to believe that that's driven by you know, the feedback that oh, they get sort of politically. Can you still hear okay? Yeah, yeah. I can, yeah. Um, that's not driven by anything else, but it's driven by basically on the doorstep or the letters they get, I, I sort of say, oh, yes, electric buses, we like those mm. sort of things. We, there should be much more of those. If, so it would make sense if they think that's an easy sell to the public and something else would be a bit harder. But at the same time, how much public uproar is there going to be that you spend some money and you save a whole bunch of like, yeah. emissions? And I guess there's fuel efficiency. Well, that's so that no, well. that's a, a, you, So you're going to save a huge amount in um, on your fuel bills. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Which at a time when the bills are oh, it, honestly, honestly, you know, it's it's just it's one of these it's one of these things where you can't understand why they don't adopt them mm-hmm. when these these solutions are available. Uh, and I think that has to do a lot. Okay, so let's say Central Asian countries, mm. they're all over it. Mm. They get it. Right. Mm. Okay. And I won't even say Central. Other countries, other jurisdictions get the wins mm. because they want to fix stuff there and then. Yeah. Because they know they have to continue. Yeah. But. And, I, and I, I'm not, I, to be honest with you, I'm not somebody who believes 100% electrification. I mean, I'm, you know, I think hydrogen, hydrogen engines are the way. That's just my personal idea, but uh, there you go. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Mm. But is that because of our culture, do you think? Or is that because it doesn't get the column inches. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's a really. Because I'm not the person in that position to make but that decision. It, it's a. I think somewhere within that, like, from my experience of being in those sort of places, that it's. We know this won't fly with a decision maker somewhere. Mm. So it's either this will scare the public, or so and so won't have that, or won't let us do that. And they'll be the actual reasons why. Yeah, I mean, because you know, it's like the sort of thing. If you if you don't want to say, okay, we're going to continue using diesel engines, etc., mm-hmm. then I could I can see 
why you would say, because we're not going to continue using diesel engines, mm -hmm. we wouldn't use this product. Mm -hmm. But, but we until will you transfer, yeah. you should at least be doing something to get that yeah. to get that simple win. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, thirty percent reduction in uh, emission GHG emissions is not huge. Yeah, it's massive. It's like nearly a third, or no, pretty much a yeah, third. Yeah, pretty much a third. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, and that's a minimum. Yeah. So it, it uh, yeah, adoption. Oh, in fact, the you know the adoption and the mitigation. These these things are important. But I guess these are societal aspects and things that in the UK, I, I feel, are very specific to UK environment. Working with local government in the UK is basically an uphill struggle. Mm. Whereas overseas, you know, I've had a meeting with people like that. Mm. Do you think that's because they're younger nations? Like a, potentially, a, a, a yeah, no, no, no. That's actually very valid. No, that's actually a very valid opinion. It could be that could be it. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah, it could be because they they. Well, yeah, no, that's actually a valid point. That's a valid point. But then, I mean, surely, supposedly surely we're, we're an information no, rich country. But, but, but wait, yeah, hold on. If we're if we've been doing it more, we think about time. Mm. We've been doing it more. We should be better at it. Mm. Right. In theory, yeah. yeah. In theory, in theory, if you've been doing something longer, you've kind of got the you've got the critical parts worked out, mm. right? So you would expect the new places to look at it and maybe be making the mistakes. But all our all our you know since I mean I won't say the eighties. I think it's very much a nineties thing and a, a back end of the nineties, like. All of the efficiencies, all of the like innovation, everything has been designed around your initial energy coming from hydrocarbons, yes. you know, from oil and gas. So they've got really, really efficient, well, did. Mm. I don't know whether that efficiency is still there, but really, really efficient at using oil and gas. I think remodeling those maybe is that, that's the thing. It's a bit too complex. Rather than, you know, it's that sort of, you've travelled too far down one road. Kind yeah, of but just because, okay, so just because you've done that, if you're, I mean, look, it is a climate emergency, mm -hmm. all right? Mm. Uh, you know, they say 1.5 degree change. Look, I, wait, it's going to be two, two to three, and that's oh, yeah, we're gonna systemic world change. That, yeah. That's systemic world change, mm -hmm. right? That that will change jet streams. That will change. There's all sorts of ramifications yeah. of a temperature change. Like all that. the food that we grow won't be able to grow oh, in the places it grows. It's going to be. <laughs> I don't think people under. No, they have got no idea. They I, haven't got a clue. I get, I get it, but the, and I and I also understand now there's something called climate anxiety. Yeah, and that's because and grief. <laughs> yeah, of course, but it. Yeah, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that thing. Look, we can actually make a difference. Mm. We can do little wins. If we get the little wins, okay, then we can implement larger changes. Mm. But there's no, it's that, it's a prag, I come back to this pragmatic approach to mm. fixing a problem. Mm. What can you do now? And if you have the solution, why don't you implement it? Mm. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm just throwing that out into the ether. No, well, I mean that's the crux of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, 
I don't know what the answer is, and if I could fix it, I would. So just just on this for a bit longer, um, do you have do you have like any winning algorithms or anything of like? Okay, so our solution's going this way, so such and such company wants to do this. We can have a small win here, which will give an immediate return, mm. and then if they're happy with that, then we sort of scale mm. up to, like, or, or is it you just, no. what do they want to do, and yeah. then we try no, and deliver because that? because you see, what happens is, so I've had, I've had companies that have approached me to help them do, uh, qualify for certain, uh, I think it's called CBAM. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's for it's basically a European tax on the carbon which is emitted per product. I think right. Okay. I could be wrong, but there's so if they want to import products, they will have to start paying a carbon tax. Yeah. For and for so the therefore they need a certification in, yeah. the, in the UK to say it produces this much carbon or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, to be able to import into the, into Europe. So we had a company who came to us, and we're still kind of discussing with them that they wanted to understand the CBAM thing and get it worked through and do the stuff. So we went back to them, gave them you know quite a straightforward idea of what it would cost and how one would go about it. Now we said to them, actually, because you're part of a bigger European group, you should be. Um, reporting on these certain statistics. You have over X amount of employees, mm-hmm. therefore you're a large company, therefore you should be reporting on X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, because their board at the top level isn't aligned to be able to make those decisions, mm-hmm. essentially the response that came back was relatively off the record from them, mm-hmm. well, off the record from them actually, was we're just going to wait until we get a fine and then we'll fix it. Mm-hmm. They'd already, they've already done that with uh, something yeah, else. That cost they, benefit they're analysis. just going to wait until they get a fine. Yeah. Wait until they get a million quid fine and then they'll fix it. Yeah. And until then they're just not going to bother. Yeah. But it's, it's like, you know, the sort of thing in international relations where it's like countries aren't moral actors. Neither are businesses. They're, mm. they're, they're there to make money, yeah. and like legally and essentially, because without the income, without the profit, there's no business. But they have to have that societal understanding uh, and approval. That's yeah. just so important. Yeah. That that the one apart from when I did my MBA and there was an oil crash, one of the main reasons I left didn't go back to the oil and mining industry mm. was because of their imperialist attitude towards the world and its people. Mm. Through first-hand experience, working around the world, seeing implementation, seeing the way they treat their staff, seeing the way they treated local staff that work for them, the disparity between those two things. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't sit well. So if you like now, I'm a bit more of a poacher turned gamekeeper to a certain extent. Mm. But I... For whatever you do, if you don't put societal impact is part of your proposition, mm. you're not gaining. Mm. I just, I just, I just, it's really important that that, be it a government, be it, be it a business, mm. it, it matters. What you do matters. Mm. Down the line, you might just be selling widgets, for example, whatever, mm. but actually, 
are you doing are you doing that the best way you can mm. yeah you do it to make money fine and maybe if you do it to make you do it in an environmental way make a little less money now mm. you probably sell more because you're being honest about it or at least if you're a company you say yeah this is where we are this is our this is our baseline now mm. it's not great we are producing x amount of carbon mm. we're offsetting what we can but this is what we're doing to move forward and this is what we're doing to change mm -hmm. i believe that the uh, society or should i say the general public or your customers will take that on board and it it's having that eye on the future mm -hmm. you know because greenwashing has ruined the perception of greenwashing has ruined what when we actually do stuff positively I don't know. All we can do is what we personally do. Yeah. So hence, I can't. I can't change the way local councils work. No. I can't do anything about that. Mm. No. But I know that if I present them with, let's say, an answer mm. or a suggestion or a solution, mm. at least I've done that. Mm. Or at least with our company, we're doing what we can. Where we're trying to get. Like right now, we're working on. Uh, funding for an island state for some geothermal um, local power. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, okay, as an individual, maybe that's not doing anything, but I know that I'm putting my effort into that mm -hmm. just because I know it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Rather, work, I'd rather work with humanitarian Canadian funders mm -hmm. than I would do, you know, other funders. Mm -hmm. So. I can make my personal business decisions around doing what I believe is right mm -hmm. or being what I believe is the the correct informed manner of working mm -hmm. um, and I'm always willing to be wrong I'm always willing to be proved wrong because you know how do I learn um, but yeah you kind of like as an individual and any individual your personal decisions can make an impact on the future of the world but I they, believe they do they do and that, you know? that's kind of the crux of the problem isn't yeah. it it's like everything we're doing every day and you know requires energy and most of us want more energy to do more things mm. and it's a question of where that energy comes I mean, from it's that, it's that crazy metric isn't it that for every god I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this now but there's something along the lines of for every thousand photographs you store in the cloud mm. it's like boiling a cow yeah it's the same power yeah we don't even think about it do we no don't even think about the amount of data centers the amount of cooling the amount of power that that needs just to store our pointless pictures well i mean my pictures of my cat aren't bloody pointless to tell you that right now <laughs> but to point to store those pictures that you know yeah, yeah I, I, it's just silly things like that. For uh, all those pictures of food that are so vital that we need. To yeah, do, exactly. You know? That's all. That's all energy. That's <laughs> yeah. energy, and that's where it gets that influence. That's why it's such a nebulous subject, because there are so many interconnected aspects. Mm -hmm. It's small things like that mm -hmm. that people realise. Maybe they'd save. Maybe you know, if they reduce the amount of pictures they were saving on on a cloud. Mm -hmm. There we go. That, that would make a massive difference. Mm. And it would do cumulatively. But it's, it's, our, it's our understanding as well of where our world comes from. Mm. Like, mm. okay, so 
the house that you're in, the clothes that you're in, the food that you eat. And if you're taking it from an energy perspective, it's like, okay, well, where did the energy come from to get the materials to build the house, to build the house, and then for you to live in the house, buy the house, have the clothes, mm. like, or just your energy to, for me to come out this morning, mm. it's like, whatever I've had for breakfast, yeah, where's it come from? Produced, yeah, exactly. and energy had to go into that to yeah. produce it, to and, bring it and, to me. To... And where did it, where's, the, because then you've got like the scope three version of that is mm-hmm. where did that originally come from? What had to happen mm-hmm. in some other country that you're completely unaware of mm-hmm. for that to get, you know, for that granola to be on your plate? Yeah. How did it get there? Yeah. You know? And those Ethiopian coffee beans. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, it, it, that, it all matters. And, so that's why I think when companies or individuals approach this subject, it can seem onerous and mm. it can seem like there's just too much mm. to for me to fix, therefore I won't fix anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just continue doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But it's those small wins. We can do things. We can do small wins that will make a difference. Mm. And if we take into consideration our impact just generally, mm-hmm. you know, that if just leave alone, I'm not even talking about the marketing aspect of the wins, mm. you know, the, the wins within your own company's culture will matter because the people who come and work with you, for you, will feel better about what they're doing. Yeah, and it's it, massive, and it's something that they can contribute to actively. Exactly. Yeah, it, something that can help you give meaning to your work. When, I mean, besides the low pay for many people, the crisis in work is: why am I doing? Like, what's the point? Oh yeah, what, what is the point of me doing this? Oh, it's a job. It pays me this, that, and the other. It's like, yeah, but what am I making? You know, what is the product, mm. and what does the product do? The, the amount of people in the world who are just baking landfill, you know. <laughs> well, you know that that's that that it's you know what the solution for there's like got a solution for that as well. The landfill, mm. you can you can get uh, you know x amount of energy from waste to energy mm-hmm. um, plants, mm. and and you can get um, water, and you can get raw building materials. Mm. So why aren't there any waste to energy plants? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's, I know it seems ridiculous, but you would think at every landfill you'd have at least one waste to energy plant. Mm-hmm. But it means it means someone's going to invest in it. Yeah, and if if the government's not going to give me free money, I'm not going to spend my money on it. Yeah, although even though I could potentially make money out of yeah. it, but I don't really have that proper. Like, and this that is, takes work. This is the interesting thing, you know. I mean, it's like okay, so one of the companies I work with, so they. Their, their investment model is specifically based on states that can't necessarily afford renewable technology mm-hmm. to be able to have renewable technology. Mm-hmm. Okay, so waste to energy plants, solar, etc. Um, okay, they do work with PBAs, so like um, you know buyback agreements, etc. Mm-hmm. But it's so that they can they will provide all the capital investment to put that solar plant in. Mm-hmm. And then the comp- and then the, the state will just keep it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, now that mo- that model's brilliant, but I don't see why we can't have we you know we have the technology here in the UK to, 
for so many angles, so many projects, and we just don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't see why we should have to be on the same level as something which is being invested in Kenya mm-hmm. or Solomon Islands or whatever mm-hmm. to be able to achieve these engineering pragmatic solutions that can fix what where our problems are now. Yeah, well our focus is on putting all our political energies into last century's technology, like yeah. more North Sea oil and gas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And where you've got, you know, as much as there's all this small boats nonsense, mm-hmm. like, oh, let's make it all about this. It's like, at the same time, you have got people leaving this country in droves. We are de-skilling. They are basically, like... Getting rid of all the skills, reducing all the wages, like it, it, it's it, like running down a company. Mm. It's like asset stripping a country. Yeah. And we are going to need people with those skills. And not just like, it's like, oh, we would just educate people. We need people with working experience of like, how does that theory apply in real world practice? Well, and the, this is where your just energy transition yeah. effect comes in because yeah. it is that societal aspect of change mm-hmm. you know um but it's just yeah <laughs> god i could go on we should we just go on a massive political rant now but i'm not gonna do that uh, <laughs> sorry well yeah but it, it is a massive subject that's it, no but it is and you can't you can't deny it. all you can, all you can have control over is your actual actions mm-hmm. you know um and even that's to a limited degree because again there are societal pressures. Mm. Like, you, if you just, I'm going to go vegan and not travel anywhere, I'm just going to walk everywhere and I'm just going to grow veg in my garden, you'll get pushed back to that. Mm. Mm. Like, you know, people will think you've gone crazy. <laughs> They've turned into a bloody hippie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the, there is a lot of societal force. Like, one of the things that I was saying for a while, I think if, if change does happen and does come, where it's going to come from now is peer pressure. And, yeah. and it's a, a, by example, it's like if you can do something that's more successful than what people are doing in the carbon economy, mm. and they can see that, they can see that you're happier and that you're you know, healthier, your bills are lower or whatever, then they'll adopt it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, we all had to be trained into sort of keeping up with the Joneses and stuff. And it's a tendency that's there, but it's one that's really No, agreed. Course. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I was thinking about this morning about the sort of, God, we're so, we're so convinced that we need shit, extra shit. Mm. You just need stuff. Yeah. But we don't. And you need new versions of the stuff you've already got. Exactly. It's like, is the washing machine still working? Yeah. Let it, yeah, let it let run there. It, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it doesn't have to be AI. Yeah. It doesn't have to be AI. It doesn't have to be an AI. What? It doesn't have to be connected to <laughs> Amazon yeah. and tell them everything that I'm watching. Yeah, exactly. How much exactly. it weighs. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go into social media. Mm. So what I generally look at here is how much time you have to spend on it and whether you think it's actually valuable. Do you get the return on investment uh, you want from it? I'm or is that a job for somebody else? It's kind of a job for someone else, but... Yeah, no, I, the, the social media thing, I do my LinkedIn, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Just to keep up with mates. I usually... Have you got uh, any clients out of that? I, uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but usually on LinkedIn, I only connect with people that I've met in person, mm-hmm. normally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just useful to keep up with 
with people I already know. But I, I'm not uh, I'm not a massive social media user. Or should I say, what do they call them? Social media consumer. I'm not. I'm, mm. I'm not. That's just I can't be asked. I'm just not interested. <laughs> you know, if anything, I just look at cuddly animals and cats and dogs. That's about it, really. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I was I was saying to someone, uh, this has been like one of my. I'll, I'll get an idea in my head and then I'll sort of like just tell various people like mm. like producing memes. But um, I was, oh god, have I lost the point again? I was thinking about. Social media, and you were telling someone cats. an idea. Cats, cats. Yes. If you'd have told a television executive in the eighties or nineties, I have got a winning TV program idea for you. Like cats, what are these cats doing? You mean like the musical? No, just, just cats. There. Just cats. Just there. Just films of cats. <laughs> just that. And how long is this program? <laughs> well, ideally. 12 hours <laughs> they'd be like and you just have it on your TV yeah they'd be like you're insane get out of my office and then you'd be like no but if anyone had bought that they would have been the richest person yeah, right. in TV yeah, well done. yeah 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 well done they patented that so we're the only people that can produce video of cats yeah well yeah cats are cats are more interesting than people most of the time that's just my personal personal probability <laughs> So uh, I'm going to jump into the other two questions, and then we might um, come back to whatever, or we might go on another random. Whatever you want, mate. Uh, so I'll I'm going to start with UBI first, and then come to the change question. Okay. So if there was a universal basic income, um, how do you think that might affect your work? You can look retroactively back over your career as well if you want, but like I guess where you are at the moment it wouldn't necessarily change too much you, no. you run in your own business you're in a cause that you you believe in that yeah. you want to do so you kind of doing what you yeah want i do. mean i've always i've always thought that we uh you know oh, this isn't going to be broadcast is it i'm kidding uh <laughs> but you know normally like um for my last pa i just i said uh right what do you want to earn mm. how much do you want mm. and i told her not to undervalue herself mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, you, if you pay someone a decent rate, mm. I mean, I'm one of these people that my very first job was uh, cleaning school after school mm. uh, when I was 16 as a school cleaner. Uh, I actually got paid quite well. I, mean, I can't remember how much it was, but I was able to buy a few CDs or mm. albums um, and save up for a car. But uh, yeah, that I kind of work ethic wise. If I'm getting paid to do something, I do it as well as I can. Mm-hmm. But a universal sort of basic income just—it should be—it's just a given. I think, you know, it. I think it's a climate solution as well because it's not just because it's an energy crisis ultimately mm-hmm. at its core. It's not just about giving people more stuff to do. It's like, yeah, to change everything, we need everyone, kind of thing. But also. A lot of you can just sit down, just sit down and just look at the view, you know, do less Mm. because, you know, you don't need to fly to Hawaii for a sustainability conference. Oh, yeah, agreed, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, although I'd like to, but anyway. (laughs) Um, No, but uh, yeah, I I think it's just a, it should be just, it's just a standard human right, and I think, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't, 
I mean, the money, like, it's pretty obvious at this point that the money is basically just all going to the top. Yeah. Oh, God, I, mean, I mean, there's not an expanding middle class. No, there's it's not. not. I mean, you know, that's it's a completely different uh, conversation. There's, the inequality is something which that sort of, it really does drive me nuts. And having been someone who's been on benefits, mm-hmm. having been someone who's qualified disabled, someone who, you know, dealt with sort of, I guess, some issues in the past and mental health as well. Um, I mean, the whole health crisis was like yeah. years of not working. That's, yeah, that's you know, I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. I, I get it. And I, I think that there should be universal basic income for, for people because people don't have that control over Yeah, and I think the universal aspect is so vital to it. And not only because you don't have to do the means of testing, but also because it's like, we all get it. We're all part of it. And it's like, nobody's getting special treatment. Everybody's getting well, something. You know, when um, when I've had to do PIP assessments mm-hmm. right, in the past, I've had to basically justify why, you know, oh yeah, I did, well, I have to justify that I actually did have cancer. Yeah. Right? I have to justify that I have physical implant on my back and, and they're like over and over yeah, again not yeah, what yeah. not once and it's yeah. now on your and record let's over not, and let's over not again. even forget, let's not even mention the when i have to talk if you talk about mental health stuff mm. you know it's like do you know how bad it is for your mental health to have to go and justify your mental health mm-hmm. it because obviously i you know it brings oh, up. Oh, so do you have problems? Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. No, what, what is your problem well, exactly? You know, I mean, uh, there's even, always mistrust. Exactly. Even if the, even if the individuals aren't necessarily in that, let's say, Victorian manner that you just <laughs> you just portrayed, but um, e- even if the individual for for the people for the individual that's having to basically justify their existence. Mm. You know, you have to say, yeah, I'm depressed. Uh, yeah, I haven't really been working. Yeah, I have a problem getting dressed. Yeah, I have a problem doing this. Yeah, I can't open mail. Yeah, I can't. So based on that, we'll decide whether you, you know, are valid or valid mm-hmm. enough to be able to have some sort of support. Mm-hmm. That process, you're more likely to have some sort of mental health incident because of having to do that yeah. than you are if you hadn't have had to do that. Yeah, it, it's like you must humiliate yourself. Yeah. It's part of the process. And yeah. if you want any of this, then you just have to go through the humiliation. Yeah. But it's also like, yeah, but you made it humiliating on purpose so that I so that don't I want yeah. to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, having been through that system, I, no, it's uh, it's something that I understand is is very very difficult. And it, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a perfect example of it. Please. I've used it a few times. So. I, and both of them are from within lockdown. So two government websites mm. that I used during lockdown. One was Companies House, and the other one was uh, DWP Universal Credit. Guess which one was really, really easy to use? Navigate yeah, go through service, helps yeah. all the way through. Yeah, I have to do it all the time. <laughs> so yeah, no, like, yeah, yeah, all right. So yeah, I, and it just is like it's by design. It's like, it's by design. This is awful by design and yeah. for a reason. And it's like, I get it. Well, it's like criminalizing mental health. In fact, you've got mental health issues. You feel like you, you know, it's virtually like being criminalized because of it. You know, yeah. it's like saying, well, you have to prove to me 
that you feel sad. Yeah. yeah. What will you be happy if I'm hanging by a bloody door yeah. handle? Yeah. Is the, would that make you believe me? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. It's like oh, a sorry thing about people. Sorry, being, it just drives people me, drives being me depressed. Up, you know? It's like they're not. They, they don't have to prove that they're being sad because most of the time they're trying to pretend that they're being happy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And as someone who does suffer from depression and has mental health issues, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's not exactly your fault. Oh. You know, what it's, yeah, trying to give the idea is why, why, what has made you down. Mm. Well, we all know it's just, it's every it's like well, it's kind of everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just all adds up. Really. How long have you got? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, let's do the change question. Mm. So, what was the change question? So this is three changes. So if, oh, okay. if you could change any three things about your work, yeah. Uh, so you can be pragmatic or you can be fantastical about them, but. Um, yeah, if you could change any three things, what would you change? People being more sincere. Uh-huh. Uh, so just being more honest and straightforward about their situation and or who they are when talking about ideas and things like that. I think mean, just just that, just being straight mm. would make a big difference. I would say that... It's, know, it's really quite a difficult question. Well, again, I think as well this is difficult when you run your own business. I, and, and the first time I came across this, I was talking to a co-op, and they were like, "Well, if we don't like anything, we can change it." Mm. I was like, "Well, yeah, yeah, that. yeah." <laughs> that makes it. I mean, hard. yeah, it, it kind of it does. I mean, if I could have more time to do the stuff, okay, on a personal level, if I could have more time to do the stuff that I ignore and, mm. and procrastinate about, is that sort of? The, the admin side yeah, of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kind of the, the boring stuff that, <laughs> uh, that I have to do. Uh, but, uh, okay, that's the second one. I'm really stretching now. Uh, the third one, maybe, maybe having more, I would like to have more in-person meetings. Although it's very difficult because like to, this morning I was, you know, talking to someone halfway around the world and someone halfway around the other side of the world. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, would you like more of your work to be more local, more more locally based, or do you like having that? No, I, I mean, I think I just take it for granted about working internationally. Mm. That it's not necessarily a barrier for me. Mm-hmm. But in the past, I guess I, you know, like we used to have a place in Tashkent in Uzbekistan, mm-hmm. like. Because it was just we would be going there relatively often to meet people in, mm-hmm. in the general area, so it just made sense. Um, so, would I like to work locally? I think I would like to have, if I could have a local impact, mm. that would be cool. Because I love Yorkshire. Mm. I'm not, I'm not. I couldn't play cricket for Yorkshire. I wasn't born here, mm. but I love Yorkshire, and. If I could have it make a difference to Yorkshire, mm. that would be a massive win for me. Mm. But I'm happy to try and make a difference halfway around the world because at least it's doing something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's one of those. We again, it's a cost-benefit analysis thing, isn't it? It's like, okay, well, 
you could take the approach of I'm not going to look at anything internationally. I'm just mm. going to focus on the UK. But also by focusing internationally, if you can get a win where you like, I'm influencing a power station or a power generation plant yeah, that's yeah. going to last twenty five years, one yeah, two generations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like that's a huge impact. Um, I mean, do you work? I mean, you can never, it's really... Well, I'll tell you what I was trying to do, actually. Mm. So um, we're, do, we're doing this uh, carbon calculator for this uh, manufacturing company. And um, something that I couldn't do. So I work with a uh, fintech company that does ethically sourced carbon credits. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gold double gold standard or something along those lines. So there's no question about greenwashing, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, in the UK, we don't actually have... Currently, I believe, an accreditation system which is similar for our um, carbon credits. So what I wanted to do for this this company was they, they, they can offset ten percent of their uh, carbon because they're they're a base manufacturing company, mm-hmm. um, so they, their carbon output is quite high. Um, they could I wanted them to be able to offset it in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Because I thought that, you know, that would be a win for the marketing. It would be a win for the company. They could say, look, this is a project we're, we're helping with. Yeah. And I could do that, but I couldn't do it through the gold standard, which would mean there would be no question about greenwashing. Right. And that was, that was quite interesting. Mm. Because the UK was, we do have standards, mm-hmm. but they're not the same as the internationally recognized standards. Mm-hmm. And, so that separation, yeah, that's something that actually I'm kind of working on at the moment. Some sort of we've got in the process of working with mm. uh, being able to do that sort of local credits for local companies. Type thing. If we, if we go to if we go to Royston Basie for our, um, uh, you know, for our uh, uh, inspiration. Yeah, so you know, lo- yeah, local, yeah, so that local local carbon credits for because I mean. If it wasn't for carbon credits, I believe we'd have functioning hydro- hydrogen engines everywhere. Mm. But because we had carbon credits, people were able to put the money into that instead of R&D I mean, over really the last 20 years. So, <laughs> so you know, it, it kind of, it's something that I've always been against, but kind of I'm slowly buying into it, but only with certain accreditations, because then I know that it's uh, a, solid, a solid proposition and not just... Uh, you know, some sort of Ponzi scheme or some rubbish. Yeah, a boondoggle. It is difficult, and you, and it, it, you do have to. Uh, let's take the nuclear one as an example again. Like, I mean, you didn't say necessarily where you fall on that, but you had your reservations about it. But it is that thing of. Is it going to work? And is it going to be better than the alternatives? Mm. And it's kind of like, okay. Do it. it. It's that thing of yes, it will do harm, but it's going to do less harm than the thing that we were going to do. Yeah. So that is way better. But we want to get, you know, that's very much a war mentality of like, you know, throw the pots and pans of the whatever mm. we've got. You want to get Your beyond it. Smells of elderberries. Yeah, yeah. You want to get beyond throwing bits of rock and twig at the barricade yeah. to like yeah. being in the keep and you know being fine to have the drawbridge down and yeah so exactly on, yeah. and sort of understanding you know it's a it's a it's just about okay it's that risk understanding but on the whole what would what would you rather mm. you know what would you rather 
because if we don't do something, we're going to be, we are going to be in a lot of trouble. Give it, give it ten years. You know, we we are. Yeah, I oh know. This are. is it. You know, it, it, it's just that maybe because it's not affecting us directly, we're not doing anything about it. But that's the thing. It, it, that that is a discourse that I really want to get us out of because it is this sort of. You know, even now we're still talking. We still talk about it like the coming effects. It's like we have to talk about what's happening now. now yeah, yeah. Because we're, we're in it now. Well, the, 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 it's it's so interesting. The agricultural thing that we also work with. Mm. Um, so their, you know, their rainfall has been unprecedented. They've been having all sorts of problems, and they're talking about um, when they're pl- uh, planting, which they call drilling, and mm. all this stuff. And it, it all affects. It, it's it is happening in the UK. Mm-hmm. Immediately, mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. um, and it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember when I was studying, it was like you know you would look at what uh, a ten-year storm event or a twenty-year mm-hmm. storm event, and you would say that you could have them one after the other, but that would mean a span of forty years because the two twenty-year storm events were next to each other, but it was on either mm-hmm. side. But that's all. That's just all out the window now. Yeah, I mean it really is. You look at the effect we have just on our just on our weather systems. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, if if you can't see what's going on, mm-hmm. you're you're missing it. You know, and I I was once asked this. Someone said to me, "Oh, you know, can you point to the carbon in the atmosphere?" They actually said that. Well, where yeah, is yeah, this carbon? It, you know, you know when you point to the air. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's everywhere." Yeah. Like it used to be four, you know. Can you point to, to the oxygen yeah, you, you're breathing? Yeah, it used to be like 200 parts per million. Now it's 400 parts per million. Is that enough of a statistic for you? I mean, yeah. I don't quote me on those numbers because they're yeah. probably relatively inaccurate, but close enough. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we passed 420. Like, yeah. last, last I saw was 422. But there you that, go. Like yeah. the high read yeah. or whatever. But yeah, and, and, and it's like, what do you think? When David Attenborough was making those documentaries 30 years ago saying, oh, we're, we're destroying the planet and we're killing all the animals. Do you think things have got better since then or yeah. worse? Or yeah. do you think he was just lying? For yeah. The whole time? yeah, it's everyone <laughs> just lying to you. You know, the very fact that people publicly still deny climate change is fucking unbelievable. Sorry for swearing. I, I think every one of those people are paid. Oh, of course they Yeah. Of course they Yeah. Of course they I mean... I, I put a statistic on my uh, LinkedIn at the end of the year or the beginning of this year, um, which was about the percentage of renewables that oil and gas companies have actually invested in mm-hmm. over their entire sort of um, that complete turnover or revenues, mm-hmm. and it was like one point four percent. Just it was a crazy small amount, but you would think every oil or energy company, in inverted quotes. All they're doing was renewable. Yeah. You know, you would think from their marketing. Yeah. And the, the reality is a very, very different. Mm. You know, but we, you know, you've got to do something. But I mean, I can get on my climate horse, but, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that's, that's the danger as well when you get into the subject. I, I mean, this is another reason why I wanted to look at things through the lens of work. Mm. Because if, you, if you're talking to people about Brexit and COVID and stuff, just their personal opinions, you're going to go all over the place. Of course, as we have done. And, but I think you get that extra lens of reflection. You know, we spend, most of us spend most of our life in work. Mm. And it's very much put to one side as this sort of different place for a lot of people. And it's like, okay, but 
you're a different person in and out of work to a degree and there are certain things that your job or your role or your pay expect mm. you to believe mm. do you believe that all the time how does that bleed over into oh, your, yeah. into well, your personal this, life this is where that societal um, cultural corporate culture um, comes into it is quite important okay for example uh, I believe that when I shouldn't, I don't know, I should say this, but oh, fuck it. You can always put it out. All right, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, no, but I believe that when you join a, co- when you join a company, mm-hmm. I work with graduates, right, so uh, final year students, master students. Um, when you join a company and you have to go through your training for professional behavior, you have to know about don't touch someone on the ass type training, mm-hmm. okay? Well, you should also have to have sustainability and climate training at the same time Mm -hmm. so that in your workplace you behave professionally Mm -hmm. but that should also include uh yeah recycle that paper or do you need to print that just simple things like that Mm -hmm. uh and that would help in the corporate culture i believe would make a difference in fact i'm working on something right now which uh hopefully will is down that line Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah it's it's you know, we should, that sort of training, that sustainability, climate awareness training should be just as important as your professional behavior or um, training that you have or your HSE training that you have at work. It, it, should, it, it should be just the same, on the same page. I think, yeah, understanding where you are, how it works is an essential part of being civilized if that's what we want to be yeah. you know and industry industry I think has to take the lead on making this societal change I, th- I think unfortunately because okay because government won't yeah, yeah. I mean look I this uh, something that I'm a proponent of that I believe for quite some time since I found it out and I only found this out about three four years ago this idea of the quadruple helix okay so the quad have you heard about it? no okay. so new. the quadruple helix developed by this chap some PhD dude in um in the Netherlands, and it means that for for true societal change, you have to apply a quadruple helix thinking. That means that um, government, society, industry, and academia mm-hmm. have to work unsiloed together mm-hmm. to create true societal change. Mm-hmm. If you want true societal change to come across, that's mm-hmm. how you have to do it. You have to implement this quadruple helix where these these um, four aspects are basically de-siloizing, de- excuse me, de-siloizing and partnering, and then you can actually get and implement societal change. And without that, you won't. It won't happen. Mm-hmm. Now, at the moment, we've got academia. We've got we've got. Um, elements of society and we've got elements of industry mm-hmm. all working together mm-hmm. in the UK mm-hmm. but the uh, arguably the most important person most important person isn't in the room mm-hmm. and that that needs to change they need they need to understand that aspect if we are going to change for the better to help Everyone. do the damage damage limitation yeah. on the environment yeah that needs to be implemented. And without that partnering, mm-hmm. it won't happen. It just will not happen. Well, I'm, I mean, the amount of times when I've discussed this on the podcast, 
and it's you know people will go to their personal responsibility thing of the light bulbs in their bags and stuff but most people are like I want to do more and the mm. only way that we can do more is if if policy lets us mm. like there has to be policy changes there has to be support and it it it's this fake sort of powerlessness and fake neutrality that they put out and you see it both sides of the Atlantic no matter who's in power mm-hmm. what colour it's mm-hmm. like oh I couldn't possibly do anything about that somebody should do something about this like, aren't you in charge yeah exactly you're in charge wants... you're somebody who can yeah one, can't we possibly think about the children well, no, no, no. <laughs> you, just, you know what I mean no. I don't have any you don't <laughs> seem to care about <laughs> yours yeah, though yeah, yeah exactly you know it's it's kind of yeah, no, you, you you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Yeah, you are in charge. Fucking fix it, please. <laughs> or at and least work with us to help you fix it. Yeah, yeah. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. Yeah, no, you're right. You're <laughs> right. Because we have we have those those ah uh, that quad helix. We have three three partnerships mm. that are effectively everyone's working together in that in that area, mm. right? And government just needs to get to. Oh God, I feel like I'm hammering government. I, 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 do you know what I, 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 I think that's that a not general this, position yeah, of everyone at yeah the but that's not necessarily <laughs> the route that I want to go down yeah, do you understand what I mean because I am I do have quite deeply held political views yeah. but I, I I being negative about something I usually feel doesn't fix anything yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah. so in that partnership aspect I think if we could partner properly with government at a proper level where they're not trying to dictate what policy they want but they're trying to be open about what policy they need mm-hmm. to achieve the vision mm-hmm. be it climate change be it net zero be it digitization be it adoption of AI whatever it is mm-hmm. if they worked with these three other areas mm-hmm. it would make a difference mm-hmm. I did some work for some uh, a white paper thing recently for that was for, for policy change, and uh, you know it was like okay, what's the thing that we know will probably be able to happen? Mm. Not what's the grand idea that would fix it all. Yeah, we did. We had to essentially say right, what do we think will actually be implemented? Yeah. Let's do. Let's forward that idea instead of the overarching grand grand vision yeah because we knew that because it's going into a white paper what would what would be more likely to win yeah i would say what i do on a daily basis is put together partnerships join dots and kind of bring in aspects from different ideology different companies and kind of say hey look have you thought about using this over here mm-hmm. You know, because that worked really well over there with these people, and there's probably money from there. And then, boom, you've got a you've got a little, you know, little mm-hmm. thing going, a little idea. Um, but yeah, it's that partnering. It's that partnering which is so so important. Which is why, like you know, in in in, in Central Asia, I know I've talked about Central Asia quite a bit, but in in different in different areas around the world, it's a lot easier to partner with the government because they understand that they. Uh, need the help. Yeah, they don't, they know that they don't know everything. Exactly. I didn't oh. want to kind of say that, but yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. 
I want to do, so this is the part where I kind of throw it over to you to do socials and oh, where, where can people find you, or where know. can people find the business? Uh, yeah, so uh, True Green Energy Group, uh, we're on like the internet and LinkedIn and just, you know, drop me an email, uh, you will probably attach it. So it's, I'll put in some yeah, so show notes. In, just, if you just yeah. email me at info at truegreenenergygroup.com co.uk mm-hmm. yeah no problem so uh, this is the bit but please I... don't have a go at me for getting my numbers wrong about certain statistics because it's not my fault <laughs> I just haven't got a really bad memory yeah, sorry we don't I mean we have Google but it would interfere with the recording yeah, exactly I'd have to look I'd have to get my phone in my hand I'm not bothered <laughs> yeah don't don't come here with your richer information yeah, correcting exactly. us exactly <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is the point where I kind of throw it over to you to talk about anything you want to talk. No, about. do you know what? This has been it's been it's been really interesting. I want to end on an optimistic note mm. Mm. Uh, because obviously, I mean, you, you you've mentioned having your own struggles with depression and stuff, but to a large degree, you you're doing something hopeful, optimistic, practical, pragmatic. Have you got like a an optimistic story to kind of? for the end or something or, or reasons to be optimistic perhaps or or even like a project that you work on that you think is like a really good project that's really sort of I mean I, I'm putting you on the it's spot quite, it's, yeah it's quite difficult because like if you of, can't you can't yeah bound by a lot of NDA stuff yeah um, but um, I mean you, you obviously feel you're making a difference I, I think I would hope yeah I mean one of the one of the things that I enjoy I'll tell you something that actually, on a, on a positive note. Mm-hmm. So working, so I do, the, um, I'm a leader in residence at the University of Leeds uh, Business School. And so I work or talk to a lot of final year students, master's students, and the quality of the graduates or recent graduates, master's students that I've met is phenomenal. Mm. Um, and what they're what they're thinking, the way they're looking at their idea of what work is, is completely different to what it was when I was a graduate. Um, you know, for me, it was like, oh, okay, studied mining engineering, studied geology, and I kind of did it for the the love of the subject, and then you know, got to travel all over the world and do stuff, right? And I, it was brilliant. It was like living a little Indiana Jones lifestyle. It was great. <laughs> um, but for graduates now, they're so much more aware of everything around them, of their impact, of what they want from corporates that they potentially may work for. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually inspiring. It's amazing. It's am- it's amazing to see the quality of what they produce. In fact, when I think about it now, I think, "Bloody hell, would they let me in?" You know? <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't think I, I don't think I'm smart enough to work here. I'll go study here. Should I? Sorry, sorry, should I say? <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd make the cut to be able to be smart enough to get to get mm-hmm. on courses. I, I don't. I, I genuinely don't. But or maybe Leeds is doing such a good job. <laughs> well, no, no, but they are. They're, what they're producing, yeah. honestly. Yeah. University leads the people that I've worked with, the students I've worked with, absolutely blow me out of the park, mm. and it's 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 quite inspiring to know that that's coming up. But let's not forget, I think the the intake this year or the coming year mm. will be the first intake of the COVID 
I kind of I can't call them the COVID kids. which is massively patronising. Yeah. I apologise, but that that intake they will have had no real exams, like in mm. you know sit down in a hall exams. Mm-hmm. They'll have no work experience because they weren't able to have it. Mm-hmm. There's so much that this new cohort will be battling against mm. that I think as employers we have to take into consideration that there will be soft skills that we're going to have to teach them. Mm-hmm. But I think their resilience will be unbelievable. I think there is the resilience, the new new graduates, is their resilience and how they deal with things is completely different to the way that we did it. With all the pressures that they have, I, I can genuinely say that I, I'm inspired by what we're getting, by, by the upcoming talent. And the way that they think about sustainability and the way they think about the environment is fantastic. And that's across disciplines, not that's you know, economic students, business students, marketing students, you know, all of them. Mm. Not not just the environmental guys. I think, you know, I, yeah, that's my positive note to end on. So thank you very much for doing this. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's my been pleasure, a great, great yeah, it's talking really to you. Enjoyable. Thank you again to Farak for being my guest. Thanks as always to all my guests and thanks to you Leeds for being my subject. If you're in Leeds or from Leeds, if you are Leeds, then please be the guest on this show. Yes, I am speaking to you. I still need to find 887 loiners to interview, so being a guest is the greatest help. You'll get free advertising and media experience and you'll be part of a new and you'll be part of a unique project in our unique city. Whatever you do, I am interested to hear about it. You don't have to be online, and you can even be anonymous if you would like to be. You will enjoy it. Like, share, follow, and subscribe to Working Hours, and please help to support Working Hours financially. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to give monthly from £1 a month, or go to ko-fi, that's ko-fi.com forward slash working hours to donate any amount that you'd like. It's just a few clicks. It's honestly not difficult. Don't be put off. It's really easy to offer support to the project. And if you have any issues or difficulties, then email me and I'll get back to you. If you're a local business who would like to sponsor one or more episodes, or you would like to pay for any advertising on Working Hours, or if you'd like your locally produced products to be branded with the Working Hours logo so it could be used as merch for the project, especially if it's something physical that can be delivered locally and sustainably, then I would love to hear from you. If your work is work, supporting it, making it happen, making it grow, then maybe you should consider joining up with a unique project that's about examining that very subject. If, for example, you're a recruitment agent or a trade union in Leeds, you should be calling me now to get your name and your own work on this project. Equally, if you're a marketer or a social media marketing manager, why aren't you getting every Leeds client you have to come on this show? You're missing a super easy win. You can email working hours at workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Okay, that's me. Work for peace and plan with kindness. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.
Go to western-studios.com and use the contact page on the site to drop me a message about either working hours or about your own Leeds podcast project. Keep up to date with working hours and find out about the other great Leeds podcasts that Western Studios is involved with by following Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads and on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios. Western Studios Leeds is available to lawyers to help them realise their own podcast projects for only £30 for an hour of audio podcast work or £40 for an hour of video podcast work. Email makemypodcast at western-studios.com with details of your project and what support you want to get your Leeds podcast made. Whatever your podcast question or need, get in touch with Western Studios Leeds. I don't know, what's your, what's your listenership? I subscriptions? have what no it idea, because oh. it's, it's not... Uh, so it's Working Hours Podcast, uh, it's just like the downloads... Um, so I'm on about 30 to 40 an episode at the moment I don't know who they are that's alright it's not bad are they local? the majority of them we like to keep it local aye well I mean it's Leeds focused so ideally I want most of the listeners in Leeds Mm. Um, but I'm also thinking you know the the specificity of place is also that makes it attractive to people you know if someone's going to visit Leeds then put that on and have a listen like yeah. It makes it more interesting by being about somewhere particular than right, if it yeah. was just like, ooh, this is about the world. Oh, we'll go on Simon's podcast and hear for a bitch about the government. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Makes a change from me, bitch. <laughs> <Yeah. about the laughs>